Uh, it's been suggested that it might be useful for those who've not had a chance as yet to read the book, which I'm sure includes most of us, not myself. Um, <coughs> as Mr. Malamud said, uh, a man concerns the life of a remarkable person, Alexander Panagoulis, <coughs> who in 1968 attempted to assassinate George Papadopoulos, the, I believe, president of Greece, under the military junta that then controlled the country. Uh, the story is told by an unnamed woman Italian journalist and interviewer who, after Panagoulis' release from prison in 1973, uh, became his lover until his violent death in 1976. Correct me if I'm wrong about any of this. And to summarize rather brutally a book that uh, should not be summarized but read, uh, I'll tell you as quickly as I can that the earlier part of the book concerns Panagoulis's arrest, torture, trial, and brutal imprisonment for some five years. Uh, subsequent to his release in a kind of general amnesty or pseudo-amnesty, um, <clears throat> he meets the narrator, um, they fall in love, and his subsequent career, very complicated and to my mind, ambiguous career, consists of his efforts, uh, first more or less, um, well, not underground, but unofficial, to become a meaningful force in the resistance to the junta, uh, subsequent to which, uh, with a certain relaxation or pseudo-relaxation of repression in Greece. <clears throat> he stands for election to the parliament uh, from a rather difficult centrist position, uh, is involved uh, in quite elaborate and fascinating maneuverings, uh, fails, I think one might say, though perhaps Ms. Falacci would disagree, fails in an effort to become a political force uh, in a country which, though it seems to have been released from repression, is of course not released. <coughs> uh, finally, I'm leaving almost everything out, but finally um, he dies in a violent automobile accident, which the book persuades us uh, was no accident but a political assassination by his powerful enemies in Greece. So that, as I say, is a, a feeble uh, attempt to represent a book whose meaning, I think, depends not simply on a remarkable human story, though it certainly is that, but on the author's efforts and successful, in most cases, I should think, to surround that story with a kind of atmosphere of feelings and interpretations that uh, we will try, however inadequately, to explore in this conversation. Elizabeth, do you want to say something or ask something to begin with? 
question? Do you want to ask a question first about the fiction itself? Oh, well, I'll, I will ask the question that, that I think everyone will want to ask, and you, you may refuse, of course, to. If she has to put questions, I would like to explain what it is, the book. For would, me. You, would you do that? Splendid. All right. Then we come to the questions. Yeah. Um, let's begin with saying that it is always difficult, and I hope you agree, for an author to say what it is its own book. Because I used to say, and I'm very convinced of it, once a book is written, the book does not belong anymore to the author. It belongs to those who read it. And those who read it find in it what they want or what they are searching for. I mean, the book lives of a life of its own. So it is your right, anybody right, to see the book or to present it in a certain way. But for sure, it doesn't coincide or does not always coincide from, uh, with the, the way I see it. I hope you understand my English, because my English uh, vocabulary is, uh, is rather limited in words, in words, so try to understand me. Um, I can say, therefore, at this point, since the book is published, and not only published in America, because it has been published already in four or five countries, and is going to be published in other 20 countries. Um, it was born in Italian, as you know, and so in Italian, in Italy, it was a, a tremendous success. It sold a million copies in in uh, eleven months, and if what I say is true, it means that uh, a million people, in the least, uh, has a different view of that book. Um, so at this point, I can only say what I wanted the book. And I don't know if I succeeded. I hope I did. I did not want the book to be the story of a man called Alekos Panagoulis. What pushed me to write that book, indeed it was a desperate need, since I loved that man very much, and he loved me to keep this man alive, to make the others know what he wanted and why he had lived and why he had been assassinated, because he was assassinated. I wanted him to be a little less dead, but you cannot write a book and the book of this, that it is not a small book <laughs> in any sense. I, I, I think I can say, maybe a little proudly, too proudly. You cannot read, uh, write a book like that only as an act of love towards a man. It has to be something more. It means to ha you have to make out of a story 
which is a particular story, a personal story, a universal story. And the reason why being a writer and not a person who writes for graphomania, we say in Italian, that is to get free of something, and I did not get free on the, on the contrary. It was to, to give a message, to give something in which the others would recognize themselves. And this something was what I saw in the case, human and political case of Alecos. I saw in Alecos, and after living three years with him as a man and wife, you would say, right? Uh, I, I happen to know that man very well. I saw in him the solitude, which is very often our solitude, of all those who refuse to bend to the society as it is organized and uh, to the various ways of correcting society as now exist. All those who refuse to be catalogued, to bend to fashions, to religions, to ideologies, to the rules, and are searching for something different to make the world a little better, if not to change it. Because it's very difficult to change the world, because it's very difficult to change man, humanity. I wanted to make a book about uh, the case of a man, or all the men, regardless their country, the time in which they live in, who struggle all alone to try to make some change or to make the things a little better, and who have not an umbrella under which to protect themselves. First of all, the umbrella of a political party, the umbrella of a dogma, the umbrella of an ideology. And therefore, just because they are alone, as I think that some of you felt in the last days when you were forced to choose between Carter and Reagan, just because they are alone, they are crushed. And in the end, eventually, in the cases of people like Alekos, of a hero like Alekos, are killed, physically killed. This is what I wanted to do. So the action takes place in Greece and then in Italy, in Europe, partly also in America, in New York because I used the real story of this man and the, his real name and the real names of the other characters of the drama, by the way, very often famous names, at least in Europe, 
and uh, because I told real facts, then later we will discuss what we, we intend by number, and we will see how much I am authorized, I feel I'm very much authorized to call it a novel. But uh, that's all for the moment. Well, <clears throat> perhaps we could talk about that, um, which was what I wanted to ask you to begin with anyway. You do call the book a novel, uh, which you're absolutely entitled to do, especially since nobody knows the difference anymore. But um, I wonder why. I wonder why the book is not offered to us as a personal and political memoir without, without the name novel on the cover. What, what do you consider that you've done to the story of that life? Because it is not personal and political memoir. Mm -hmm. Because it is built as a novel. Because the whole story is told as in a novel. If instead of Alekos uh, I had invented another name, let's say it was John Smith, and the action instead of taking in Athens took place in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, if instead of the names of uh, Papadopoulos uh, there was the name, uh, I don't know whom, I don't want to mention names now, it's just <laughs> the, they, they closed the, the elections yesterday, it wouldn't be fair. Um, you would call it a novel because you cannot deny that the story is the story of a novel. It's built as a novel. It's constructed as a novel. Uh, you say you said something that provoked some small laughs that I did not appreciate a second ago. I said, yeah, I can call it as I want. I cannot call it as I want, because I cannot call as I want what it is not. If that book was a piece of history, if it was a, a book of a journalist and a book of an historian, I would be wrong to call it as a novel. But it's a book of a writer, and I think I am not wrong to call it such for what it is. I think that uh, the experts in literature. I wouldn't deny, I wouldn't, I don't feel uh, I must admit a foreigner in the field, in the field, since I have been uh, studying a lot of it to begin with in school. Uh, the experts of, of literature, let's say in this country, should, they should tell to me what they intend for a novel. Because if by novel they only intend something which is born out of imagination, invention, then the discussion is going to become very interesting. First of all, for what regards the history of the novel itself, because then I would recall them uh, the, that in the European literatures, literature, this is not new at all. If you look at the French literature of the 1800, you will find other examples, and even before. I mean, uh, can I say something that I hope anybody knows? Dumas and the Three Musketeers, it's full of real names and real facts. 
I mean, who said, whoever declared, declared as a rule, as a written rule, and then written by whom, that the novel should be only something which is invented, and if it is not invented, a real story with funny names. I had in front of me a story which was a novel itself. I had the story of a hero. By the way, if you want, if you want, I stop. If you don't want, I can go on to explain what I mean by this. Entirely up to you. I, I was very soon aware in writing the story of Alekos that that was the story of a man who happened to be a hero. And then I went on studying the case of the hero. And I found out what I vaguely knew before, at least I deepened this knowledge, that the, the hero always is the protagonist of a fable or of a fairy tale or of a myth or of a legend that always develops in the same way. The story of the hero, either that you read uh, fairy tales for children, either that you, if you read uh, a legend of the um, Greek mythology, or either if you read a, a fable of uh, a Russian fable, for instance, it is always the same. And this is confirmed if you read books like uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces of Richard Campbell, or if you read uh, the morphology of the fable of prop, the Soviet prop. It takes place always in the same way. There is the initiation of the hero, the initiation of his heroism, the period of the great test, then uh, the return to the village, and then the final challenge, and finally death or apotheosis, or both. And I found out that the story of Alekos was exactly this. The initiation, it was when he put the bomb to try to kill uh, the dictator, Papadopoulos. The period of the great test was the, his arrest, his, uh, the interrogation with all the tortures, etc., the trials the condemnation to death, the prison, the solitary confinement in the military prison of Boyati in Athens, next to Athens, then uh, the return to the village, which is when he is released from prison and uh, when he, he comes to in, goes in exile and then he goes back to, the, uh, to his country to become a congressman, the final challenge, that is, when he tries his last act of, his last challenge, his last act of heroism, finding the documents that will demonstrate that the people in government are the same bastards as before, have just inherited the situation of the, the uh, military junta, of the dictatorship, and go on. And uh, because this is what Alekos, he did, he did his, little personal Watergate without, without having the Washington Post and the New York Times. 
and that's why he was crushed. And finally, his death or apotheosis. But isn't the legend, isn't the fairy tales already a novel? Well, yes, you were suggesting that the novel is, is there before you wrote it, which I think is unfair. Yes. I think that's unfair to you, but... Uh, <coughs> it's unfair to Alekos, though. Okay. Could I ask one other question before you sure. get in? The other uh, phrase that appears on the cover of the novel is a man, which is the title. And I'm curious, without wanting to be provocative, um, is the kind of heroism that you find in uh, Panagoulis and his life possible only for men? Possible. Possible only for men? Could a woman be such a hero? Of course. <coughs> I don't see it. Mm. Why? I mean, uh, um, uh, listen, uh, if you read uh, the letters to the of the condemned to death in the resistance in Europe, it's a, they're famous books. We started in Italy, letters of the condemned to death in the resistance in Italy. It had an enormous success and then it was done for the other countries. Mm -hmm. And then there is another book, Letters of the Condemned to Death during the Resistance in France, in Germany, in Norway, in, in, in Denmark, uh, um, in Greece, um, in, in Yugoslavia, anywhere. You will find many Alekos, men and women. And the most striking particular is that very often in their letters, I have found out, they speak like Alekos. For instance, one of the, of the things that Alekos said to me, uh, that he says to the woman of the book also, uh, when, uh, when uh, they go to the island of Aegina, and he, sees, he see, and he says, see, if they had executed me, I would die looking at the Acropolis. I was so much impressed. And while I was writing the book, I told this to a, to a friend in Florence, a man who had been himself a hero in the resistance. And he said, I said to him, do you know I'm writing of when Aleko said to me, uh, if, I did, if they executed me, I would die uh, looking at the Acropolis. And he said to me, if you read the letters of the condemned to the resistance, to condemn to death in the resistance in Greece, you will find that phrase many times. And I went looking at these letters, and I found <coughs> it uh, not many times, but three times, and I'll surprise you, all women. All women. I'm glad to hear it. Well, I have uh, one short question, one long question. Maybe we won't get to the long question. The short question has to do with what you've just been talking about, the hero. Because to me, the triumph of your book is not that it follows the conventional pattern of the hero. I've read all of those books. I love them. But that it forever complicates the way in which we think about the hero. Because it's really the story behind the story of the hero. It's the story of the doubts and of the screw-ups and of all the things um, that we don't know about heroes that complicate the way we think of them. Um, 
And to me, that's a tremendous triumph. But I have a question that that, that brings to mind, and that is, you write a book which keeps a man alive um, by by keeping alive his dreams. And to me, the, the, the central question is, what world is it Alekos would have wished to see come into being? I mean, he stands not for a program, not for an ideology, but for freedom of some sort. Um, does he stand for a world of tolerance and diversity in which he can live in freedom? And why is it hard to imagine him satisfied with that? Do you see what I mean by the question? Number one, when you have a dream, you're never satisfied because the dream never comes reality. I'll tell you something. While I was writing Letter to a Child Never Born, Alekos kept reading uh, at the galley and making... Uh, uh, w we used to fight a lot. I mean, he was a huge... I had always to criticize what I did. I had always to criticize what he did. And he found something that uh, when I tried to explain life uh, to the child in this book, that he didn't uh, approve. And he explained me why, and I, I found out that he was right, and I used then what he said to me. Because he said, you know, the important, it is not to win. The important is to fight. That is, that the important, it is not to arrive. The important is to travel. Because once you have arrived, you have to move again and go forward. Now, um, what was he standing off? Of course he was standing off to begin with for freedom because there was dictatorship in his country and you may recall that he says that freedom is a duty before being a right. Secondly, when uh, some kind of freedom had been achieved finally because the junta had fallen, he was searching for truth. He was trying to demonstrate which was the most unpolitical thing for a politician. That the politicians ruling its country in uh, a refound democracy or some kind of democracy where the had inherited not not only inherited the Greece that belonged to Junta, that is to the military dictatorship, but very often they had been collaborating with the fascist of the Junta and therefore they were the same people. Um, indeed, it was an act of heroism. I think that uh, it takes uh, much more heroism, and here we get to the subject of the hero, that I think it is what it, you are con what yes. you were questioned about. In my opinion, it takes much more heroism to give up all what you have finally achieved to begin with your personal freedom 
or should I say to begin with life, since you have not been executed, to give up all that, to put yourself against all those who are looked today as the good guys. I mean, it was, in my opinion, but also in Aleko's opinions, opinion, much easier to stand up at the trial and ask, as he did, to be condemned to death, since he would be condemned anyway. Well, it takes courage to be condemned all the same, uh, to, to ask to be condemned all the same. I don't know if I would do it. And it, it takes uh, less courage to refuse to put your signature under a paper in which you ask uh, uh, not to be killed, not to be executed, rather than to give up all what he gave up, looking for those documents in his little personal water gate that drove him to death. Because let us not forget that this man was not killed during the dictatorship. He was not killed by an execution squad, which would have been some an honor for him. When, uh, when, uh, uh, when he was killed like that, one of the things that I said, crying, it was they didn't even make him the gift of shooting him with an uh, execution squad. But to, to risk what he risked and to get killed in that coward way, in which he was killed, that is with a, a simulated car accident. I mean, he knew it would happen afterwards. He was expecting it. And it was so clear that sooner or later it would happen because as I tell in the book, uh, they are continuously victims of uh, episodes like that. We were together many times. My question was whether he could imagine a world, whether he even wished for a world without that sort of threat. What, what did you say? No, my question was, uh, my question is, could he have wished for, could he have imagined a world without that sort of threat, without the threat of death? Maybe because there's a suggestion in the novel that um, so absorbed, he's so absorbed with, um, with he, the threat. Could, I, I, could I ask that question in another way? Um, by reminding you very simply of the, the wonderful moment when he is finally released <coughs> from prison early in the earlier in the book. And you say very convincingly, he said to you very convincingly, that that was a moment of fear, of apprehension. He didn't want to leave that awful little cell that he'd been confined in for so many years. Is what you're calling freedom somehow defined by the absence of freedom, by the existence of, of a repressive other? Uh, let's begin to say, with saying that. Can we close a little that uh, window? Because I'm freezing. I don't know. I don't even know where. Who we'll opened it? Oh. Let's begin with saying that the reason why he did not want to be released, and this is told in the book, in that scene in which when he told it to me, I found it exquisite because it really went, as I tell in the book, 
he did not want to leave the cell. And then he said, if you want me out, you must come and get me. Mm -hmm. And they took him, and then they, they, they accompanied him somewhere in a room uh, where they, should, they, they, they would read uh, the, 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 the papers that uh, say that uh, he had been graced. He uh, was enjoying amnesty, the general amnesty. And he should stand up, as I tell, as I say in the book. And uh, he didn't stand up. And uh, he was uh, sitting uh, on this chair. And he was provoking all the time. I don't know if I told, if I wrote uh, that particular, that he was scratching his feet continuously. And then they say to him, and they said to him, "What are you scratching?" And he said, "I'm scratching my balls because they are that long." He did not want to be released because he was aware that being released would help the dictatorship and would uh, uh, help the world uh, in a, it would help to feed a misunderstanding. That is that the dictatorship was becoming something like of a democratic regime or something of a, like a, 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 a no more oppressive regime. And he did not want to be an instrument of that. He did not want to be an accomplice of that. And this is the first real reason. But along with that, there was another reason that, uh, in a secondary place, that I became aware in uh, the years to follow, living with him, he had accustomed himself to live in a grave. Because what I tell in the book is absolutely true. This cell, which I have seen, and if you want, I'll tell you how, was as large as a double bed, maybe a queen bed, which uh, includes the, 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 the matelas where he was sleeping, without windows. And uh, in this tiny, tiny space, which was less than the double of this chair, in total dark, he lived for five years, except in the, the, the when he escaped, uh, those, five, uh, those four times when he escaped, once successfully and the three other times unsuccessfully. And he was no more used to the light, and he was no more used to the space. And in the, uh, in the very first day after he had been released, uh, I remember that he couldn't walk in the street. You had to keep him by his arm. And he was always walking along the walls, on the sidewalk. He needed to feel the walls next to him. Otherwise, he had the impression to fall. But to answer more uh, better, I hope, uh, to your question, uh, when a man lives with death, as he had been living for five years, because, as it says in the book, for three years he could be executed any moment. The fact that they did not execute him because everybody had intervened, even Johnson had intervened, uh, asking to spare his life. 
did not mean that they would not execute him anymore. It, that the, the sentence had just been suspended. But according to their law, within three years he could be executed. And he used to tell to me that uh, every morning that uh, they went to him early in the morning to bring coffee or when they did bring coffee, he, he was afraid they would come to pick him up to bring him in front of the execution squad. And when you live in, in what I call in the book a grave, and indeed, indeed it was a grave, it was built as a grave, it was a parallelepipedus. You, you get so used to the idea of dying that at a certain moment you fall in love with death. And when you see that you are a defeated man, that they have won, that they have crushed, you realize, as he did, as he does in the book, that the, the only way to win, it is to die. I guess that he has in front of, of him uh, many examples. Uh, one of the examples, uh, though he, he, he didn't share the political ideologies, was Che Guevara. I mean, if Che Guevara had been living, uh, he wouldn't be Che Guevara today. He's Che Guevara because he was killed. And he, it, he accepted to be killed. And it is in my mind, and nobody can wipe it out of my mind, that in those days, he wasn't looking to be killed. Well, that makes, uh, that makes sense. I mean, because to me, one of the interesting things about the book is that it, it sounds, he's not at all a monochromatic hero. He's a hero who learns things. First, he learns that uh, violence is idiotic, an idiotic form of resistance. The next thing he learns is that politics is an idiotic form of resistance. Um, the next thing he learns is that the people um, as a concept is an over-sentimentalized um, view of the people. Um, and the final thing that he doesn't learn, it seems to me, is that um, history is taken all too seriously because when he looks to be, when he looks to be killed, when he looks to die, it seems to me to accord history a kind of seriousness um, that he hasn't accorded it before because He's always taking history and opposing himself, the rationality of history to which he opposes his own irrationality as an individual. To me, that's very moving. And at the end, it's still, I mean, it's still moving, but he, he ends um, as a person who accords history a tremendous significance by dying. You know, uh, saying so, you are making what Really, Alekos was. You are making the portrait of a poet more than of yeah, a hero. Yeah, that's what it seems to me. I, I often use the, the word hero in the book because that is the fairy tale of the hero. And by hero, uh, at least in my culture, we mean many things. So sometimes the protagonist, I think, maybe it's the same for you. But, uh, and because uh, in that part of the world that where I belong to, it is Europe, uh, uh, he was known as a hero. And since I was using his own name and I was portraying his human case, I used the word hero. But I use as much, I must say, the word poet. Because if you point a gun to my head and you say you define him 
in one word, one word only, what this man was. I don't say hero as much as he was. I say poet. In every sense, he was a poet. Pierpaolo Pasolini, I, I think that you know who he was, the Italian uh, a poet and uh, writer and movie director who was killed. One of his books uh, of poems, because Alecos published two books of poems, two books of poems, and one won uh, the uh, Viareggio Prize. It was published when he was still in, uh, in prison. Pasolini said that uh, indeed he was a poet, a real poet, and his poems were very beautiful. They, I, I never succeeded in having them translated here in America in English, beautiful poems. But uh, the, he said that the best of his poems, though, he had been writing with his life and with his body and with what he said daily. Um, the poets are almost always in love with death. <coughs> and what Alecos sang uh, better in his poems was death. As a matter of fact, I would say that with the exception of the love poems that he wrote for me and kept them secret as he would be ashamed of it uh, because they were not political, because most of his poems were political, there is not one poem of his that doesn't have the word Thanatos, death. Um, the real poet, I would say, cannot help ending as a hero. Maybe we could explore um, an aspect of your role or the similar characters. Uh, do I dare say you? Yes. In reference to the book? <laughs> okay, thank you. It's easier. Um, in the book, uh, the quality of, of heroism that you've been talking about, the, the insistence on being independent of causes or ideologies, political parties, um, that insistence on being free uh, is obviously something that, that you or the writer or both of you um, admire and, and find you know, the most valuable element in his existence. At the same time, the book is full of impatience, um, especially the later parts, with him as, I suppose, as politician, as someone trying to find something to do in a world that's uncongenial to, uh, to his nature. Um, do you think that kind of ambiguity is, is just inherent in the idea of any good person participating in politics at all? I, you said the word ambiguity uh, the, uh, in introducing the book. I did not understand what you meant by it. The well, it's a, it's a pretentious word. The I mean, we have the same word in Italian, mm -hmm. but I, I'm not sure that it means the same thing. Well, but who knows? Uh, wh what I'm talking about is a kind of double feeling that I detect, perhaps wrongly, in the book that what he does, even as politician, defines his heroic self because he's not very good at it. 
Uh, he is not very good. Mm -hmm. One moment. He is not very good in the politics of of the politicians, mm -hmm. as I call it with contempt. Yeah. The phrase is not his, it's mine. You hear now? Yes. Yeah. It's to assume, huh? <laughs> 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 uh, um, what I call with contempt the politics of the politicians, it is, for instance, what we have been witnessing in uh, these last weeks and, mo and months in your country. What we can witness in my country, in anybody country, all the time, and uh, more dramatically during the elections. Their lies, their promises, which will not be, of course, kept, their slogans, their games. They will insult each other, and then when the other wins, he says, he's a decent man after all. <laughs> Politics was not this for Alekos. It is not this for me. This is why we met, why we recognized each other, why we loved each other. I am convinced, as Alekos was, that politics, politics it should be a marvelous word. I'm in love with politics, as it should be, with the platonic idea of politics. Politics should be culture, first of all, and it is almost always in the hands of the illiterate. It should be <laughs> honesty, and it is almost always in the hands of the corrupted and of the thieves. It should be honesty, sincerity, truth, truth, and what are the words? And it is almost always, and I'm generous when I say almost, in the hands of the liars. <laughs> and once he enters in that politics, then this also this internal struggle begins, which I, I understand now you call it ambiguity because he has to deal, as he had, he has to deal in the book, and he had to deal in real life, with that reality and with that ambiguity. But it didn't last too much, because he entered in politics, uh, he enters in the book, of course, also, in the summer of 74, August of 74, and he was out of it at the end of 75. <laughs> he resisted less than one year. And then he tried to make politics in the other way, looking for those documents, which in the end, it was the work of a journalist more than of a politician. And in fact, his drama was to find the newspaper that would publish those documents. It's absolutely useless that you have documents if nobody knows them and nobody published them. And uh, uh, when I say to him, well, you leave politics, then what will you do? And he will say, I'll be a journalist, I'll be a publisher, I'll, do, I'll be that, you see. So that uh, a kind of ambiguity is, uh, 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 is inevitable. It is the same that would touch me or 
any other person who is not used to the dirtiness of, po of politics. If I would enter in politics, I would have to deal with that and I would have to compromise and I don't think that it would last very long in my case also. I don't either. You wouldn't either. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Yes, but uh, maybe we are wrong because if we leave it to them, we'll never get free of them. That's one, one of the things that he said. He entered because he said, someone has to try. Then after, if you are defeated, okay, someone else will try and try and try until in the hope that things change us because what counts more, as I said in the beginning, uh, in the beginning is the dream. Right? I have another question quite off that point. Um, there's a pattern in the book uh, of his, and I gather with your approval, uh, after his violent beginnings, the attempted murder, which failed only because he didn't do it right, the bomb didn't go off when the car was on the bridge. Um, there's a, a process described, I think, of learning nonviolence or learning to, you know, give up that kind of, as he quite wonderfully describes it, just sort of pseudo-radical terrorism. Um, I find that admirable, but I, I, I was curious, and it, perhaps this is unanswerable, could you have written this book if the bomb had gone off, if Papadoulos had died, if he had, you know? To begin with, if the, the bomb had gone off, history would have been different. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because uh, uh, once the dictator wasn't there anymore, things would have changed. He used to say that uh, in uh, his, uh, his program was uh, uh, to eliminate the whole junta, which demonstrates, after all, that uh, there is some truth in the theory that uh, those who change the world are few. Um, now, I have met people whose bomb went off. Let's not forget that uh, I used to call myself a child of the resistance. My education took place during uh, the Nazi fascist occupation of my country and of Europe. And in that I I grew up as a child and I began to understood something, not something, the most, <laughs> the basis of all. I am uh, the daughter of a hero. Also my father was arrested and tortured, condemned to death. He was a leader of the resistance in Italy, in Tuscany. Uh, my father never placed any bomb I know that once he was ordered to kill a fascist and he wasn't able to do it. And he uses to tell that. Uh, something which uh, Alekos would understand very well because he used to tell me that uh, 
he used to tell two, two things. Once he said, I didn't want to kill a man. I wanted to kill a tyrant. And secondly, he used to say to me, it is not in the book. You, the, which demonstrates to you it is a novel because I use what is necessary to build a novel. I don't make a, a journal of our life together, on the contrary. Yeah. He used to say to me, I wanted to kill a car, you know. And this thing has remained in my mind after his death, as if the car would take revenge and kill him. Well, your book is very anti-car, I must say. <laughs> Well, in the book, uh, the death has the shape of a car. Yeah. I mean, the, the how do you call it, head, uh, the, the, the lights. The, the headlights are the eyes of the skull and, and the, the mm, how do you call that thing of the car? The, the grill. The grill yeah, is this the mouth of the, uh, uh, which is kind of truth, I mean, after his death, but even before, after, uh, he, even before his death, uh, during all those numberless chasings, I saw the car as the death, and he too saw the car as the death. So, um, other people, rather than my father, put that bomb, their life went on, and they became uh, old men, and sometimes they became politicians, etc. And uh, their life uh, was very coherent and very clean also as politicians, which makes them part of a very tiny minority. And uh, some of those men are men on whom I could write a book, but of course it would never be this book, because this is the story of a man who was alone and who was killed because he was alone. No, I would say, I'm thinking while I'm answering mm -hmm. to you. I, I would say that uh, if the bomb had gone off, off, the book would not exist, uh, but not even that fantastic, marvelous human being called Alekos would exist. Mm -hmm. I have no more questions, but I expect other people do. I think it might be fair to ask if Ms. Swati's willing, if others would like to ask her anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yes. No, I, to begin with, I chose among the many stories I had. And I used, I don't know if the English word is appropriate, what was good in the economy of the book. <laughs> For instance, I knew the whole life of, of Alekos, and if I wanted to write his biography, I could begin when he was a child. To me, since I wanted to write the novel, or a fairy tale, if you want, a rather bitter fairy tale, um, the, the story of Aleko begins in the moment of the initiation of his heroism, the moment in which he, the bomb 
uh, doesn't explode, doesn't burst. So already it, the I choose doing this something which is uh, necessary to the economy of the story. Uh, many other particulars I could tell. I didn't tell, for instance, uh, all the tortures he went on. I did. I don't tell, for instance. But I say. I, I say what comes now to my mind. Uh, I could have told if it was a biography or if I wanted to do what I could have done. Uh, well, how did you call it? to memorize uh, the, this case? Our interview, which isn't there, uh, you, you, if you read the book, you will notice that uh, when uh, I go to him, I used to say when she goes to him, but now you said like that, I say when I go to him, or when she goes to him. Um, she, says to, she says to him, I knew you. I knew your story before. And when uh, she listens to what he tells her during the interview, she says, I knew the story. I had heard it other times. I had heard it uh, from a Viet Cong prisoner. And there I give the name of the Viet Cong prisoner, a real name. I had heard it uh, from uh, a Bolivian priest who had been tortured, Padre Tito de Alensar Lima, another real name. Uh, I had heard it uh, from uh, that uh, old uh, communist uh, uh, Marighella who is killed uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, who had been killed in Brazil. This is not, as you see, journalism, this is not history, this is, it, this is really using uh, what is, uh, you think is necessary or good for the construction of the story. I, I can also tell you that uh, I have thrown away much material. For instance, uh, in, uh, in the first and second draft, I rewrote the book four times. In the second and first draft, you will find, you would find many more episodes of chasing of the car. I mean, when they tried to kill him and her with the car. Because it, did, it, it really happened many, many times more than I say in the book. But I found out at a certain moment uh, that repeating that story was kind of monotonous and uh, would kill the, the expectance and at the same time the trauma, the shock of when he is killed. Ah, fictionalized. No, no, what do you mean by fictionalized? Of course I didn't live my life, uh, three years of my life with Alecos with a tape recorder in my hands. Uh, though I remember very well what we said. Uh, it might be there is, uh, let's see what comes now to my mind. For instance, the, the episode uh, when he reads Plato and he attacks the extremists who are in the street uh, making riots. It did not take place uh, where I place it in the book. That is the day 
that the Kissinger is in our hotel as he was and all his uh, 112 bodyguards were watching us so closely and some of them entering in our room uh, the hotel because it was uh, the, uh, uh, the fourth floor, we were at the third floor. And by the way, he was exactly in the same uh, apartment that corresponded to our room. They had put even microphones and I remember that Taleko said that uh, fun that day. And uh, since he, he knew uh, there were microphones, he said, you think that if we put a bomb here, Kissinger, which uh, uh, it will be in the, the correspondence of his bed? And I said, well, I don't know. We should go and see if the bed is there or there. And, and, and we, were, we had to suffocate the, the need of, of laughing. I don't think that this is in the book. In, in any case, the story, of, uh, which is rather dramatic, uh, when he reads that page of Plato, didn't take place in the reality that day. I placed it there because it was good there, you see, though it is a true story. Well, there is always, uh, there was uh, for sure in the case of Alekos, a deep insatisfaction. Does this word exist in English? Dissatisfaction, see my English. In the poet. Uh, the poet lives uh, in, uh, in a world uh, of fantasy, of imagination. He's the real artist because he's, he invents, he even invents his own imagination. And rather, and he's dissatisfied with reality, which means in another way to be dissatisfied with life. And all those poets who were also poets in life too, I'm thinking in this moment to Francois Villon, the French uh, poet, are in love with death. And by some strange but not so strange destiny, they always die young. Think of Rimbaud, Rimbaud. God knows if a poet he was, and, God no and he was in, in, in love with death. He too died young. I, I find a, a, a very deep connection, even more when the poet is politicized, as Alekos was. Who are there? Then I come to you. Uh, what was the position of your hero with respect to political parties? Because as I've understood the conversation, it's been a conversation about political romance, a scandalium. You know, we'd like to hear what you have to say about realistic political action. If I belong to a political party, I wouldn't write this book to begin with. I wouldn't be here to talk. Uh, this book is a is a, a fire's condemnation also of the political parties. It says among the rest uh, towards the end uh, when, uh, when he is uh, crushed also because he's, he lacks this umbrella of the political parties that uh, a man with dignity and with imagination, independence of judgment cannot belong to a party because a party only requires yes men, obedient men, servants. 
uh, Alekos did not belong to any political party, if you want to know his personal story. I put his question, this question to him when I interviewed him. He said uh, with a little smile, I guess if you want, you could call me a socialist, <laughs> some kind of a socialist. He was a libertarian, a word uh, that I would apply to myself also, with not too much uh, hesitation. Uh, it seems to me obvious that uh, those kinds of human beings are not reactionary. Uh, but he was not, his was rather research in, in, the, in the ideological sense also. If you will read the book, you will find that uh, at a certain moment, and especially in the moment in which he begins to understand that violence will not change anything, that the revolution is not bloodshed in the streets, because that revolution only changes things for a little while, and it is always inevitably followed by a restoration, by a Napoleon, or by new czar. Therefore, revolution, he says, and he used to say, is patience. And it is the one that takes place in the individuals. And then he said, when all the individuals will make that kind of revolution, patient revolution, then the real revolution will come. Politically, he had at a certain moment, in order to enter into the politics of the politicians, as I tell in the book, to, to, to tie up with a party, to enter in a party. And he chose a party which was not a party. I, I used to say that is a political club of Alecos, is nothing more. And it was called the uh, Union Center. You might call it, I don't know, Social Democrat Party or something like, like that. Alecos was, was much more radical than that. But of course, uh, for a libertarian uh, like him, there was not much room, uh, I would say, in a communist party to begin with. And there was not uh, much room, uh, I would say, in a, in a conservative party. You know, he died young. He was only 38 when he died. Uh, he might have come up with something, because that's what we are searching for, are we? Uh, there is begin to begin with please don't say what you said in the beginning because it makes me <laughs> I'm not great at all it's, it, it's, it sounds funny only to hear that I mean uh, you, you want maybe you wanted to say that I'm not easy to scare that's uh, that I accept <laughs> um, I was afraid of such a love of that kind of love I was afraid of the 
tragedy, death, that such love would inevitably bring along. Um, that book is also a love story, let's admit it. Some can see it only as a love story, which would sadden me a lot, because it wants to be much more than that, but God knows if it is also a love story. And, and uh, when speaking of love, and I speak a lot of it <laughs> along the book, during the, in the book, I say that there is no worst, worst in the sense the most more terrible love than uh, the love that I call a cerebral one. That means uh, the one that is not based, uh, or not only based on the attraction of two bodies, but in that kind of complicity which existed between me and Alekos. When I say that he was Don Quixote, or he was Don Quixote and she was Sancho Pancha, uh, I mean what really happened, or I mean that I was Don Quixote too, but with him I had to play the role of Sancho Pancha in order to stop him. I mean, uh, that is, he wouldn't go too far, he wouldn't die too soon. And uh, the, la the, the story of Don Quixote and Sancho Pancha, God knows, is a love story already. It's a love story. I mean, uh, you know, we were brothers before being lovers. And uh, the, the two creatures of the book are brothers before being lovers. And uh, I was damn right of being afraid of all that and being afraid of him because he's still haunting me, if not in another way, through this book. Now that the book is there, he, he doesn't die for the others, but he doesn't die for me either. I was right. The documents have been carefully avoided, of course. They could have published, but they cannot be published because the possession of those documents is considered a crime. Because the documents, uh, uh, for the same reasons why Alekos could not publish them, that is that they, the, the, the magistrate intervened and declared those documents uh, a state secret. Theoretically, the fact of having them makes me a criminal. And theoretically, I could be arrested. Of course, they wouldn't dare to do that. But uh, uh, if I go there, uh, they do not know the book as yet, except through the insults that the uh, part of Greek press dedicated to me when the book was published in Italy. Um, they do not know what these documents are, with the exception of those who read Italian or German or Spanish or Serbo-Croatians, Croatian, which are the languages in which the book has been uh, translated until now. I can see that uh, Many Italian, many copies have entered in Greece. Uh, I was told that uh, uh, there was a, a bookstore in Brindisi, which is the port uh, from where the, the ship to, to Greece comes. He said, you know, there is, 
There are people who come from Greece, especially sailors, and they buy 50 copies each time. <laughs> it's obvious that they bought the copies to, make, uh, uh, to, to resell them. But I guess that, of course, it is only a minority of the uh, uh, Greek people know about it. Voices have spread out because I continuously receive marvelous letters and cards from Greek and they expect this book very much. It can, uh, you might be interested to know that uh, soon the book will be translated in Greece. It should be out in the month of January. I would be surprised if it stays in the bookstores more than 10 days. Theoretically, it should be confiscated. Uh, it has not been easy also to find uh, someone who had the guts to publish it. I have mm, I've gone through three publishers before getting to this. Because I was, I still am, the Italian author most sold in Greece in absolute, and one of the foreigner authors that sell more in Greece. So I had already my publisher, and it was, uh, has never been a problem for me to publish a book in Greece. But it certainly has been a problem to publish this. Yes. Yes. I don't understand the first word. Where, where? At your office, you said you were like, you know, and you said something very moving at the time about the target having a relationship. You said you had gone your whole life searching for maps to the government. And that you kind of do it the last thing you found something. It was you who made me say that word. <laughs> you know why? I keep telling that word, that story. Uh, then I'll tell you something that will, you will like. When I went back, uh, that was not a few weeks before he was killed. Three weeks. In any case, we spoke again about that. We spoke uh, about that. And um, I told him that story. I don't remember what circumstance, but I told him the story. And uh, do you know that he had been interviewed in those days also? And he had answered the same thing. <laughs> that he was, I was his brother. <laughs> okay, go on. You mean if it is difficult to find a brother in a hero? In a hero. But a hero is a man. Which is easier? No. One hero. But there is only one hero in this story. It is Alekos. I'm not the hero. I'm the teller. Get to 
I haven't found many heroes, but I have found some. But uh, outside my family, I have only found a brother, which was me. I guess that then it's more difficult to find a brother than a hero. Mm -hmm. But you see, it's also easy to say this, because it's very, you can make uh, any fantasy on being a hero. But once you're there, really being a hero, it's very tough. I think in, in kindness to uh, <laughs> Ms. Falacci, we would perhaps have one more question. Oh. Okay, put the question. Oh, yeah. You. Linda. One of the things he wants, I understand, one of the think, things he wanted to demonstrate and that he didn't come to demonstrate because they killed him before, it was that uh, the CIA had had a consistent part in the invasion of Cyprus. And these, uh, through the mini w what he was at his time, and still is, the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Greece, Averov. One of the documents that I published in, in the book is a top secret document, really top secret, it's even written on it, sent to Averov as minister, minister, minister of the uh, Foreign Affairs from the KIP, which is the Greek CIA, which say, says, oh, it's here somewhere, following, now I, I, I play by my memory, following your orders, two officers of the KIP, and it gives the name, the name of one is Konstantin Konstantopoulos or something like that, have gone to Cyprus to rescue the documents found by Congressman Panagoulis, or which are going to be found by Congressman Panagoulis, and which must be returned don't remember if to you or to your ministry, at any cost. I shall never know. I, I think he didn't find them, at, or maybe he did in the last hours. This I shall never know. Nobody knows but them. I mean, they did not need those, they did not need to know 
that he also was in possess of those documents to kill him because what he had was already disastrous for them. But uh, if in the last hours he came in possess of those documents also, that means that CIA there was involved in the, had to do with what had happened in Cyprus, there was a reason more to hurry up. Many of these documents refer to the KIP, which is the Greek CIA. And it is a fact uh, that his uh, enemy number one, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, who still is such, was working for CIA. Yeah, this is not a mystery. It, it is a fact that Papadopoulos was uh, the main man of CIA in Greece. Uh, before becoming dictator, he had been one of their agents. This is known. Of course, it would, it would bring, if he had come and possess of all the documents he was looking for, of the famous uh, truck that he was looking for, and that he had found. And his problem was how to transport this truck. It was a truck which was full of papers which was staying uh, in the headquarters of KIP. And of course, they didn't want him to have that. And he was killed before he would find the solution to, 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 uh, to come and possess of it. He had to refer, uh, in reference with the international situation. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Of course. Of course. Of course. Um, he was not killed by, uh, by the personal, personal initiative of some uh, personal enemy. It was very well done, you know. It was a very well done murder. I mean, uh, some, uh, not many, still uh, believe that uh, it was a car accident. Uh, the second car that hit him disappeared, as you will see in the book. You'll see in the book that the car were two cars, not one car, as the in the trial it has been said. And it is a fact that the man who took responsibility for the so-called accident, the, the book ends with that story. Nobody knew. Nobody could accuse him. They would have never found him. And someday, in a very arrogant day, he introduced himself as the man who was the, three days after, uh, the responsible for the accident. And uh, he was first condemned for uh, the death of Alex for uh, unvolunteer homicide, homicide, I don't know how you say it in English. Secondly, he was in the, in, the, in the trial they did in appeal, he was only condemned to 5,000 drachmas of fine. And now he's a rich man. He possesses the shop where he was an employee before. I think perhaps you'd like to stop. I mean, I'm not tired. If they want to, I can do go on a couple of questions. Thank you all for coming. Some of your reception downstairs in the bar. I hope you'll join us. Thank you.